0: If you want to grab your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Deuteronomy, chapter 2. No, chapter 1. That's the fifth book of your Bible. You probably are not spending a ton of time in Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The last day of 2017. I was talking to my 12 year old son on the way here today, and I said, Man, in the 90s, I remember thinking, What would life be like in 2017? <laughs> really? I mean, think about that. You know how goofy that is. But God is faithful, amen? And He has endured us, and He has continued us, and, and, uh, and purposed us. And if He wills it, we will finish this day. And we will wake to a new year. I mean, think about how much we take that for granted. If we finish this day, we will, and if he wills it, we'll wake to a new year. Did you realize that there will be people who will not wake up tomorrow morning? Especially on a night like tonight, when people in sin are going to overindulge, when they're going to try to drive home way too late. People will die today. They will not wake up tomorrow morning. They will face their eternity If the Lord wills, we will wake up to a new year. A new year of what is the question? Oh, and by the way, I mean, do you realize you might think what I just said about people overindulging and driving? You might, hey, that's why I don't go out on New Year's Eve. I mean, stupid fools will shoot guns into the air, and that bullet might come through your window or your roof right where you sit on your lazy boy. In the safety of your own home, you may not finish today. A new year is what is in question. What and why do we live another day or another year? I mean, quickly think about what you are looking most forward to in 2018. I mean, there's so many great things. Maybe in this year you plan to finish college, have a baby, get married, buy a house, kick a bad habit that's plagued your life. I mean, none of those things are bad. Those are good things. But they all revolve around us, around ourselves. So while they're good and a blessing from God, they cannot be the biggest thing we're excited about. Why? Because they're self-serving. Some of you might have thought when I asked what are you most excited about in 2018, you might have thought about our new campus as a church that we'll move into. And this is so exciting, but it cannot be the biggest thing we look forward to in 2018. Why? Because we quickly make it about us. Church, we exist for the glory of God. We get to live our lives not for ourselves and our sin, but for him and his glory and making much of his name. And I don't have to say much to a room of mostly saved sinners who love Jesus, who want to do everything they can do to make their days about Jesus and not themselves. But the question begs to be asked, then so why are we so good at making so much of our days about ourselves? And that's what I want to tackle this morning in, in this little sermonette. And we'll respond in worship, and then I'll come back, and we'll do a little family business to close our time today. I look forward to The title of today's sermon is Comfortable or Crucified in 2018. Comfortable or Crucified? Throughout redemptive history, that question has confronted God's people. This was the decision facing the Israelites as they stood at Kadesh Barnea. Do you remember that moment in their amazing story? They're standing on the brink of the promised land with the guarantee that God will take that land and give it to his people. But they denied God and they chose to make those days on the brink of the promised land still about their own comfort and about themselves. Instead of staking their lives on the faithfulness of God, they responded in laziness, in fear, in excuses, and self-driven priorities. Let me expand. Kadesh Barnea is an important site in Israelite history. It's where a number of historical events took place. It was the chief site of encampment for the Israelites during their wandering in the wilderness. Deuteronomy chapter 1, 19 through 21 And we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, You have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. So they've been sojourners in the valley for a couple of years have gone by but God has delivered them to the doorstep of the promised land just as he's promised and we read on in verse 22 then all of you came near to me and said let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we shall come the things seemed good to me and I took 12 men from you one man from each tribe and they turned and went into the hill country and came into the valley of Escol and spied it out, and they took in their lands, in their hands, some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, "It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. It is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. We serve a good God who gives good gifts." Amen. Scouting out that land and the foreigners and its territory, it seems like a good move of good stewardship, right? No no problem with that. And those scouts affirm, this place is amazing. And yet, we read on in verse 26. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, Because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of Ankin there. So like we do in our flesh, church, they're, they're, they find ways to become full of doubt, to become full of fear, to, to come up with excuses. Their laziness causes them to say, we don't want to fight or to risk death. We'd, in other words, they're really saying here, we'd rather go back to slavery. We'd rather go back to our miserable lives. Do you hear their excuses that they spoke saying these people are huge? <laughs> the reality is, our excuses for not leaving comfort to walk in God's refining fire are many times very logical to our heads. <coughs> I I have thought often about missionary families that we've helped send in this last year. Accomplished, healthy, fulfilling the American dream, beautiful homes and cars and sports and extracurricular activities and bank accounts and kids, young kids. To a watching world to watch them sell their houses, rehome their dogs, give away their stuff to put only what they can fit on their backs to board a plane and go to a land that if they knew why they were there, they would be killed with their babies in tow, logically makes no sense. And yet, the beautiful example of that, to die to self, to live to Christ, to go to the ends of the earth, to do what's needed to spread the gospel. I just, I encourage you to really consider that as I lovingly press on us today for how we can get out of our selfish routines to do much more than we do in this city right here in the comfort of our home. Yeah, these people are huge. It's true. But our God is so much bigger. Is he not? How often are you guilty of convincing your head and your heart that the obstacle you face is bigger than God? Moses reminded them, look at verse 29, Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes, and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way That you went until you came to this place, and yet in spite of all this word, you did not believe the Lord your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents in fire by night and cloud by day to show you by what way we should go. In my prayerful prep for today's sermon, I wrote in my next note, how lame we are. (laughs) So addicted to our fleshly comforts that we miss out on what God wants to do in and through us. And here's the thing. I mean, there was serious consequences for, for these people's lazy rebellion. Moses and an entire generation that he's speaking to did not get to enter that land because of their sin the next generation would be charged to go take it in faith. Deuteronomy four twenty 20-24, The Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of his own inheritance. As you are this day, furthermore, the Lord was angry with me because of you, and he swore that I would not cross the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land that the Lord your God has given you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land, I must not go over the Jordan, but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make a carved image from anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. You ever want a sober reminder for why the the shepherds of the flock are charged with a high task and will bear a weight of judgment based on how the sheep do. Here's an example of that. Faithful Moses does not get to enter the promised land because of the unfaithfulness of his flock. Interesting. But what does Moses remind them of? The Lord your God is a consuming fire. And here's the key question I want you to wrestle with today. Have you forgotten that? Do we make idols of temporary things of this culture and ignore the call of our God to abandon ourselves to fully live for Him? As a church, we stand on the edge of our own Kadesh Barnea. Our new home is on the horizon. Literally, you can walk 100 feet out our front door and look to the right and you can see it. And we are filled with many hopes for 2018. But again, I say, for what? For what? What are we going to do with that? Kardesh Barnea means, Kardesh means holy, Barnea means wilderness wandering. Holy wilderness wandering. The place where they were at was a wilderness wandering, but it was meant to be holy. But what it ended up being for the Israelites was unholy wandering. Church, it is so important that we don't wake up tomorrow and make 2018 about us our comfort, our self-serving agenda, and end 2018 with a look back and see a bunch of unholy wandering. One of the big reasons we struggle with this so much is comfort is such a framework of expectation, of, of gospel in our worldview propelled by a fallen world. The very temptations of Satan to Jesus were all about comfort. Eat. Don't be hungry anymore. Bow down before me. I'll give you all this. Let me let me help you satisfy that flesh. I mean, if, if we're really honest, and we're not really doing some serious business with this, if we're really genuinely honest, we are comatose in comfort. I mean, I just don't even think sometimes how aware we are of how comfortable and spoiled we really are. In the late 1920s, two entrepreneurial young men from Michigan held a contest to name the upholstered reclining chair they invented. Many Submissions came in, sit and snooze, slack back, the one they chose was Lazy Boy. And whether you have one or not, Lazy Boy has become a central figure piece of our lifestyles. We endure our jobs to run home, kick our feet up, put the magical remote in our hand, And this works against the wartime mentality that we must have for the days that God gives us. I'm not saying that the way we respond to today's sermon is like on the news tonight is like this report of random chairs on fire in front of your house. There's a sweep across Bakersfield. It's made its way into Taft. What's going on? (laughs) Right? I mean, yeah, surely there's moments where you just got, you know what I mean? Relax, put a movie on, whatever. Yeah, that's fine. That's good. But I'm just saying, like, are are we doing some business with the basics to to just say, Lord, how, how am I dying to myself to live to you? And so let's just remind ourselves of Jesus' teaching. The Bible clearly speaks of the Christian life looking very different than it is for many modern Christians. Instead of Christ saving us to a life of comfort, the Bible says Christ saves us to a life of crucifixion. Now, comfort is coming Celebration and rest is coming Isaiah 25, 6-9. through On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. But it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God, and we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord that we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That promised land like no other is coming. But in the meantime, we are at war. We are saved and then sent out to serve, to testify, to build his church, to make disciples unto the nations. This is why you're raising your kids. N- not, not for their temporary accomplishments or awards or college degrees or, or, or buying their first home or starting a family. Those are temporary things God uses for temporary means. The, the bigger picture of disciple making of maturing, of growing, of stewarding our families and our, and our lives and our monies and our times for His kingdom, for His glory. So while comfort is our fleshly preference, crucifixion is our God-given call. You may wonder, why is the opposite of comfort crucifixion? Because the pursuit of comfort is to please oneself. Crucifixion is Christ's prescription of how we die to ourselves to live for him. And I just say, if you're wrestling with, man, I just don't know, I just say, well, what if Jesus said, man, I just don't know? You know I, it's been a long time coming, and, and it, there's the cross, and yeah, eh, yeah. seriously. I mean, really, do business with that. Every song we sing is to praise God that He chose crucifixion over comfort. Praise God, He said, "Not my will, but yours be done." Lord, here's my budget for this new year. Not my will, but yours be done. Here's my family plans, schedule. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus said, my soul is troubled. The genuine workings of his flesh before the cross were real. And he says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? He says, but for this purpose, I've come to this hour. And I say, for this purpose, you wake up tomorrow morning. You have a God-given eternal purpose for that day. The problem is what the modern church has done with the good news is we, we love Jesus' substitutional death in our place, but we've turned it not into the power to die to self and live to Christ, but in the excuse and the reason why we don't need to do much but bask in the blessing that we've been given. I wonder if you would agree with the following view of the cross of Christ. The crucifixion of Christ was a once and for all substitution of the Son of God in my place so that I would not have to suffer, but could enjoy the abundant life that He purchased for me. Common view held today by many Christians. It's a half-truth. While Christ's death is a one-time complete substitution for all of His people, the Christian life is not removed from suffering and sacrifice. I can't sell you Christianity with the goal that you might choose it and be faithful to it. I can't do that if I'm faithful to the scriptures. Why? Because if I preach what Jesus preached, you would never choose it without new birth. You would say, I can't do that. I won't do that. Your flesh is too strong. It's too crazy. But because of his amazing grace and a a new heart of flesh instead of a stone crucifixion becomes to us not only life unto Christ and forever a part of his kingdom but truly now the power to die to self and take up our crosses daily and follow him praise God that he removed our dead hearts to give us life Praise him that we get to die to self and the damned penalty that we earned so that we could live to Christ. That's a joyful exchange. Jesus said, Luke 9, 23, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For the true Christian, dying to self is both a one-time event at salvation and a lifelong process. When Christ died on the cross for sinners, he not only stood in my place, doing what I could never do, forgiving my sin, he also showed me what I must do as a follower of him, namely taking up my cross and joining him on Calvary's road of death to self. He says later in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 16, 24-26, Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus spoke repeatedly to his disciples about taking up their cross, an instrument of death, and following him. He made it clear that if anyone would follow him, they must deny themselves, which means giving up the throne of their own lives, their dreams, their stuff, to be stewards of it for his purposes. Later, Jesus would define lukewarm followers who try to live partly in the old life and partly in the new as those whom he desires to spit out of his mouth. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. Instead of true Christ Father will obey his word, give up his or her life for the sake of Christ and and the making much of his name, making disciples unto the nations. I've said it many times before, it's worth saying again and again, Christ died to save us from hell, but not to save us from the cross. He died so that We could be glorified, but not to keep us from being crucified. So when you look at the cross as a believer, it should bring two important things to mind. Jesus, number one, Jesus died in your place. A gift that you did not earn, for which you will forever praise him. But do you stop there when you see the cross? Do you only look back? because it should also do something else. Jesus died in your place to give you the power to die to yourself every day to glorify him. The cross does both of that for a a biblically saturated Christian who understands Jesus' teachings. I I did nothing to earn it. Jesus did everything. I praise him. I'm, I'm in awe of praise, but I see that cross, and it's also the reminder of what my life is to be every day. Moving forward. So I'm here today to stand on Jesus' teaching, to remind us once again that we never let the cross lose its crucifying power in our lives. The great tragedy of modern Christianity is that the cross is something that only happened back then. We can't stand on the edge of big moments like this or hard seasons Or on the edge of what would be great self-sacrifice and bail out and slide into a path of least resistance like the Israelites did at Kadesh Barnea that day. The scriptures teach that if you are reborn, your life is a life of surrender to self. It's a life of crucifixion. To give up your grip on the temporary because your cling is to something far greater to have a rightly prioritized grip on your stuff, on your comfort, on your loved ones, so that in everything we do, we show that Christ is our greatest treasure. Jesus' teachings in Luke 9, Matthew 16, that I've read about taking a your cross are not isolated incidents, in the life of Christ, consider his words to uh, men who who longed to be his disciples in Luke 9, 57 through 62. As they were running along the the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow, looks back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Three men approached Jesus who seemed eager to follow him, but to our surprise, Jesus makes it clear they're not ready to follow him because of their cling still to the temporary. They are trying, because he knows their heart. Jesus isn't against burying your dad or saying goodbye to your loved ones. There's a heart issue that he understands is within these guys by which they want to say, I want to still enjoy the old life and add you to it, as some kind of weird mix. And he says, you, you won't be my devoted follower if you try to do it that way. You're not ready to die to yourself. You're not ready to confess and trust your life to me as Lord and Savior completely. It's not a package deal. In, in practical ways, he is saying that sacrifice is real. Be ready to be homeless. That's what Jesus says. I don't have, there's not like a sweet clubhouse that me and my guys have that like, I know I get why you want to be a member. It's rad. I mean, it, it's, it's awesome. No. Their most regular place to hang out and to encourage one another was in a park. The Garden of Gethsemane. They're homeless. They're on the road. The fishermen had left their homes, their families, to follow Christ. Do you see how what some of these families have done to go to these foreign lands and serve the Lord is actually not as outrageous as maybe in a modern way we want to say it is? When you just look more simply at the scriptures, and there it is. It reveals to us just maybe how still we are struggling with a pursuit of our comfort in our flesh in ways that we just still don't see. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I beg of you today to not treat the cross like a historic relic of the past, It is the very power of God to change everything in your life. It is the very focus of your future days. When you see the cross, it should cause you to thank God for what he has done to save you and to propel you into a life of sacrificial service for his glory and others good. If you are his disciple, you must take up your cross daily and not look back and avoid the Calvary Road for temporary pleasures and comfort. When we do this, people will see, people that God puts in our path, will see that God is our greatest treasure and that He is the greatest prize that we could ever know. So just with a few minutes left in this portion of our service, I just want to help you just do a little bit of basic inventory. I'm not asking you to do something that I haven't done myself. I, I woke up yesterday morning very purposeful to address some of these very things for myself and my home. I actually met with some of you who called me to say you were doing this already, preparing for a new year. I love that. I said, I'll make time for you today on a Saturday. Come to my house. Let's talk. Four basic things. And my question is, are we doing even the basics? The first is our time. Do you believe that your days belong to God? Not only did he create you, not only has he continued you, but he is the one who is in charge of how long you live. And who are we to think that we have a plan or, or, or plans or dreams or purposes for our days better than what God has for us? James 4, 13 and 17, Come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet do you not know what tomorrow will bring? You don't know. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him that is sin. When we did our groundbreaking last May at the campus, I read this scripture or referenced it. And do you remember what I said? I said, as excited as we are, is the fact that we've got money in the bank to build it and a team ready to come do that very work. If the Lord wills, we will do ministry on this place, in this place. Why would I say that? Because there's a chance we don't ever do ministry on those grounds. We don't ever move into that facility. Either because you or we didn't make it, or it didn't make it, or it was taken away. I don't know. And maybe, and I remember some amens that day. I remember you guys really joining me in the conviction of of yielding to God. God, you don't owe us this. If you will, we will steward it well. We trust you if it's your will to get us there or not. I remember you agreed. You agreed. But now consider it with me. (laughs) You who have walked through that facility, you who are, oh, this is awesome. It's close. That prayer is all the more important today. It's all the more important the day before it happens. Just like you're praying for a baby in the womb, Lord, if you will that I ever meet this child, so be it, I trust your plan. That, that prayer is hardest the day before that baby's born. It's so close. If the Lord wills would do this or that, beloved, do you wake up and prioritize your day for the one who ordained it? Who is continuing it? Does God get the best of your day, or does He get the leftovers? Do you make prioritized time to feast in His word? Not necessarily first, but priority. That it's not an afterthought. It's not something you try to get to. Some of you are 30 years practiced of getting to God's word that way. It needs to stop. You need to have a new priority in your day. To wake up and to plan that time. By which nothing else gets to interrupt it. What is that for you? How do you not give God your leftovers? And I know why it's a struggle, because you know how faithful God is to you. Just like sometimes we give our greatest, closest loved ones, our spouses, our kids, our leftovers, because we know how faithful they are to us. The 2018 reading plan is a perfect tool for you to jump in. You go on the website today, you put your email in, you confirm that email in your inbox And Monday morning, you'll get the first reading of the next year's reading plan. And every day on Monday through Friday, a new reading. And on Saturday, a devotion to sit and go through. We don't do anything for that on Sunday because we want you to come ready to dig into the Word that we're going to preach on Sunday. You can pick up that printed plan and keep it in your Bible today on the way out. A simple way. Again, I'm just asking, are you even doing the basics? Let's talk about money for a moment. Do you believe that the money you possess is God's money entrusted to you to steward for his purposes and for his glory? Do you worship him and honor his word in giving your first fruits of the income he has provided you to your local church by which you are a committed participant or member? Do you help put bread on the table that you eat? God is providing all that we need to do the ministry he's called us to. We don't need new money. But what that means is the money he has entrusted to this church is what he has entrusted to the people of this church. We have everything we need, as long as we all, who are his people, will be good and faithful stewards of what he has entrusted to us. Not selfishly saying, God, I'm all in on all these things you're doing. But this one, nah, I got got a better agenda. And I I just say, you know what? God says oh, on this one topic, just, just try me. And, and, and I, say, I say, do it. Because I've seen every time individuals or couples have stepped out in faith to start a new year and to say, before we even decide a lifestyle that we might have, here's our income and here's our faithful commitment of the first fruits of that that we will not mess with and give faithfully. And then we will decide with what's left the kind of lifestyle we're going to have. Do not fall prey to thinking that you will figure out your lifestyle and then decide what to give them with what's left. Please also don't fall into a rut of just going, hey, a new year, it rolls over. Has your income grown this year? Your giving should grow too. Has your income gone down a little bit? Probably your giving should go down too. It's based on your income. It's not based on willy-nilly what I feel or what I'm also working on. It's first. It doesn't compete with the other things that I'm trying to save for or plan on. It's first. It's my way of saying God is first. I praise God for the growth we've seen in our church. In the last couple of years, our core numbers have gotten smaller. Our giving has gone up because more of you are finding in your sanctification ways to continue to increase your giving and many more of you are starting that journey, repenting of sinfully, not participating that way, and beginning. Praise God. Praise God. The Word calls us to be sacrificial in what we give. And I always say, how do you define sacrificial? You're not called to give a tenth. That tithe concept is an Old Testament prescription. It is not a New Testament prescription. You are called to die to yourself and live to Christ. You're called to be generous and sacrificial. So how do you define that? The simple way that I've found to help people define that, and I've done it in my own life, is that whatever you're deciding to give costs you something. It's not so easy that you don't feel it. Generosity means it costs you something. You live a different lifestyle because of what you decide to give faithfully. And what's cool is one of the reasons why, why giving goes up is not necessarily because income's always going up. It's because in sanctification, in being crucified to myself, I, I set aside less for myself and more for the kingdom work that is advancing the gospel to save lives and make disciples. If you've never done giving, you just seek out the admin team, we'd love to help you consider how to do that. You bring it to the box on Sundays, you can write a check and mail it, or you can give online automatically. It's a great, great tool that makes it easy to do. If you have questions about increasing or changing your giving for the new year, and you get stuck online trying to figure that out, just call us or admin team. would be great to help you with that. Going into the new year... At the annual meeting, we're going to bring forth a number of specific areas whereby which we will be able to participate in some special giving in the new year. I also want you to prayerfully begin to pray about your participation in that. It is unheard of that a congregation would get to move into a brand new, custom and finished built campus, and that we have not had to come to you and ask for one dime to do that. It's unheard of. And praise God for the provisions he's given us in selling the campus and the Hershey Ranch money and the diligence to keep that money focused that way. But it is tight to get this done, and there are some special things that are going to be opportunities for you to help us. Things that we don't have to have done to move in, but it'd be cool to get them done. Things related to, like, the kids' playground. Things related to the monument sign on the corner to share Disciples Church. Things related to some seating and furnishing. Again, things we don't have to have. Okay, we don't need a bunch of lazy boys, but, but, but some things that will be really nice to kind of finish that out. And so, we're, so I want you to prayerfully begin to pray in addition to your committed regular giving. W- what might we be able to participate in a special offering in the coming month or two? We'll give you more details on that in the coming time. Number three, service. Do you just receive, attend, consume at our church, or are you faithful to find ways to serve others? to making time to use your talents to be a blessing to others. If you died today, would we need to fill a spot by which you are serving because you no longer show up to do it? Would there be a legacy of you giving yourself to serving others? I love Roger Pell's legacy in that, how old is he, Julia, when he passed away? 77. 77 years old. He served in kids ministry in his hardest months and years leading up to his death, he was still serving in kids' ministry like weeks before he passed away. It's epic. Lord, may it be so. May it be so in my life. Where are you serving? In the church and in the community and coaching and volunteering and finding ways to be a blessing to others? You know, it's been fun to watch Uh, Virginia, Childress, retire from many years of teaching and go right to how can I be more involved in the church and serving in my community. And she's just having a ball. Just ask her about it. She's loving it. In addition to your regular post and serving here, and if you're not serving, I encourage you to start talking to us about how that could happen. But in addition to that, we have also some special projects related to moving into the new campus that we're going to need your help on. In the coming weeks, we're going to be calling some meetings by which we need to get all hands on deck to do some unique projects and moving in and cleaning and organizing and painting and setting up and building. And so I have asked you already, I'm going to ask you again, be careful as to how many extracurricular plans you make in 2018. I'm asking you, to consider to vacation less. I'm asking you to be more available in your evenings and your weekends and even your days as much as you can so that we can die to ourselves and live to Christ to help this happen. And finally, to testify and invite. Something we have to do in 2018, something that if we have something to repent of as we finish this year, it is this. We have grown comfortable With just how much we enjoy our little family. And our mouths have become too closed. Our reach across the table, across the restaurant, across the gas station, at the different events we're going to and the circles we run with, you've become, we've become too quiet. How do I know this? Because you're not asking me for giving for those little promo cards enough. We should be having to print more and more. You should be asking us questions, how do we help get this person plugged in, blah, blah, blah. We have got to make this not about us. Shame on us if we move in to this beautiful brand new campus. And eight months from now, we did hardly anything to let our community know that it's open for business. We're we're building this site because we believe the gospel being preached, the disciple making happening in this church is ready for a new wave of people. We don't have the tens of thousands of dollars to only announce that virally. You're going to have to help us carry a big part of that weight. So even today, start asking for those promo cards. I've been doing it. Everyone that's coming to my house, I talk to them about it. I say, hey, can I say real quick what I'm a part of? I give them a car. I tell them how excited I am about our church. and invite them to come. All the place, all, all over. I go with my car. You might go, Pastor, that's good. That's your job. no, no, it's yours. This is your church. <laughs> that's your job. So will you join me? We're going to actually plan, Marilyn I have been working on it, some special events where we want to go crash some football games, we want to do some car washes, we want to go into neighborhoods to just level on our community and tell them, hey, will you come join us? We're here, we're excited, we're putting on this carnival, want you to come join us. So there's going to be some events, some, some commitments to help put those things on that we're going to need your help, hands on deck to do these things. I am... Asking you to really take to heart your time, your money, your service, and your testifying and inviting in 2018. And what's really interesting about that, That's just the basics. What else might God be working on you with whatever else is happening? And man, I cannot wait to see what he's going to do in us as we're focused less on our comfort and more on being crucified for his holy name in this next year. It is going to be phenomenal. Amen? All right. We're going to respond with a song. To rejoice in our good Lord. And then I'm going to uh, come back up and, and send us out of here with, some cool, with a cool announcement. All right. So let's pray and, and we'll sing. Father God, I, I thank you for this time, for this hour, for this place by which we uh, get to worship you. We get to enjoy your and study and know your word. We get to learn from those who have come before us. We get to be reminded of your holy teachings and, and um, prescriptions on our lives. We get to be reminded of the beautiful gospel that sets us free and why it is a joy, not a burden to do these things. I mean, so awesome to see the testimony of how families are changing as a result of the gospel at work, as a result of a disciplined life that says I'm going to reprioritize, I'm going to focus in, I'm going to spend the time, I'm going I'm I'm to make this a priority. And so I just pray you continue to do that work in and among us. It, it is thrilling to see what, to think about what's ahead. And if for some reason some of us don't make it through tomorrow, to live as Christ, to die is gain, we rejoice in glory. But if you ordain that our eyes open in the morning and 2018 is a reality, that that day and each hour and day past it would be used for your purposes and your glory. Father, I just thank you. I praise you. Give give us um, a real conviction and joyful temperament in how we would pursue these things in the coming days, weeks, months, and years. We love you. We rejoice in you. Hear us, Lord, as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.